uh, last week we had a, a, a communication snafu. Um, I told everyone that I wasn't going to be here except the person who does the bulletin. And that's why it was in the bulletin. And when Denny was doing the phone tree, he was just running through the bulletin and forgot that I had told him we weren't going to have it. And so he put it on phone tree as well. So uh, I appreciate you guys showing up, but uh, uh, I was uh, at a banquet uh, and could not be here. Trying to decide if that was me moving or... Is this going to be, we're good now? There we go. You can chuck that other one. Um, so uh, I apologize for, for that goof uh, and that oversight. Uh, as I was driving home from church, my wife goes, did you know that they had Sunday night in the bulletin? And I went, nothing I can do about it now. <laughs> so... Uh, but anyhow, we are set. What that means is that we're going to push it back one week. We will actually go the first week of May. Um, we had scheduled to go to end in April, but we have three more weeks left tonight and two more. Um, fear not. Fear not again. And then when you pray, and we're going to end with, with that command. So a uh, quick little review. It's been a while, so this may test your memory or your ability to flip through your notes. Um, one of those do. As we've talked about the commands of Christ, what was the key verse that we used as foundation for this? The Great Commission, which says, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And that's the key phrase that we've pulled out of Matthew 28. Um, and because what is it that he's commanded us then? I mean, if, if we are to be teaching that, then we need to know what those commands are. So we started with the command to, well, there's two kinds of commands. Remember that? Universal and cultural. Universal command, meaning that it's for everyone, all peoples, all time. And the cultural command, meaning it was just for that group or individual that he was speaking to at that time. Um, and then we started with the command to come. And that command to come was an invitation, an invitation for relationship and rest, which was everyone's favorite, and an invitation to purpose. Remember he said, come, uh, come all who are weary and I will give you rest. Come and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, come and enter into that relationship. Then the command to follow was an invitation to learn and an invitation to lordship. So as we follow Christ, we can learn from him. And then as we follow him and learn from him, we need to make him Lord. That's the command to follow is that there can only be one leader. If there's more than one leader, then we have a problem. So you look at your life. If God is not leading, if Jesus is not leading, then you are not following him if he is not leading you. There can only be one leader and one follower. Um, and so it's a command to follow. In that, there's a command to deny yourself, a command to take up his yoke. Remember, we had the picture of the oxen where we're following in that yoke. A command to be perfect. That was a, that was a tough one to swallow. And a command to be extraordinary. I remember Jesus and, and you know Denny spoke on it this morning with the do not murder. How Jesus always took those Ten Commandments or the law and took it to a whole new level. Where he said, you know, you've heard it said before, do not murder. But I say, if you even call your brother a fool. If you even hate or get angry or call him uh, an idiot or a moron. Which is the literal translation of raka is a moron. Um, and so if you even do that, you've already committed murder already killed them and so you know it, it's a command to follow him as a command to be extraordinary and then a command to walk in the light and then we have the command to think and how are we to think christianly we're to think christianly we're to think like christ 
uh, would think. And he's given us his mind. We have the mind of Christ. So, therefore, with the Holy Spirit in us and the mind of Christ in access that we have access to, we have the ability to think like Christ would think. Um, then it's a command to not be deceived and a command to be aware of false teachers, uh, that they are everywhere, and especially during as the, as the time draws closer to Jesus' second coming, uh, we're going to see more and more and more of those false teachers. Then it's a command to love. Two greatest commandments are what? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Love God, love people. All the gospel boils down to those two things. Love God, love people. Um, And then we also said not only that, sometimes those are easy. We understand the love God, and I can love people that I know, friends that I have, family. Then it said love your enemies. That was a tough one. We're we're to love our enemies, to pray for them, Um, and uh, and then turn the other cheek. That's a part of loving uh, is Going, that's part of the extraordinary, going the extra mile. Um, if they need your shirt, if they demand your shirt, give them your coat as well. If they want one mile, give them two. If they strike one cheek, give them the other. And, uh, that's all part of that command to love. And then last time we were together, we talked about the command to forgive. And that was a, to forgive that we need to be reconciled with others, uh, that a true forgiveness results in reconciliation. You can think of that picture of us and God, that when, when God offers us forgiveness, that we by faith receive that forgiveness, our relationship is restored. We are reconciled to him. So we bring that onto a human level, that if there are, is, a, is a faction between two people and one has hurt another and the one says, will you forgive me, and forgiveness is given, is granted, then the true sign of that is that the relationship will be restored. If the relationship is not restored, then that person either didn't really mean, will you forgive me, or that person didn't really mean, I forgive you. One of them reneged on their part of the relationship. Um, and so it, it, we are commanded to forgive. We're commanded to be reconciled. And then the, the last part of that was judge not. Part of that command to forgive. Well, tonight we're going to dive into the command, and this is the first of two parts, the command to fear not. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look at the, the idea of what it means to fear and what it means to be anxious. Anxious was one of those words that always messed me up because I thought it was one thing and the Bible used it as another thing. So we're going to look at what the true meaning of being anxious is. But let's open with a word of prayer and uh, ask God to open up his word to us. Father, we are thankful that you are a God of truth and that you have given us your truth in written form. You have overseen its writing, its printing. You've, uh, you've made it accessible to us. And so, Father, we desire to, to walk through it tonight. Would you give us understanding? Would you allow us to, with the mind of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to discern in our own lives, this, this idea of, of fear and, and anxiety. And Father, would you give us victory over that, that we would truly walk out of here fearing not through your power and, and your, uh, your enabling for us. And so, Father, tonight we ask your Holy Spirit to move among us. And would you receive the glory and the honor for these next few minutes that we spend together. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said before, two key words that we want to focus on tonight is fear and anxiety. Uh, <clears throat> that word fear, how many of you are fearful people? You, you, you're, you're fearful. What are you afraid of? You don't mind me asking. God's judgment? Anyone else? What are you afraid of? My wife's scared of heights. And you're tall. That doesn't work well for you. <laughs> Sarah's not short, that's true. Yeah, she doesn't do heights all that well. My wife's also claustrophobic. If she's up high in tight places, it's really bad. Um, she's not She's not overtly claustrophobic, but um, we had a friend of ours that was very much claustrophobic, and if he was even in a crowd, was, he had to get off to the side of the crowd to where it was open, because that was 
that was getting to. He wasn't very tall, so he couldn't see up over the crowd. Um, but everybody has a fear. If we really write down to it, we have a fear of something um, more than likely, that there's something that deals with I, I have a fear of failure. Um, I, I, I don't like to fail. Um, you know, the idea of, of, of not letting the person doing the bulletin know that that ate on me all week. Because to me, that, that was failure. Uh, I had not done what was required in order for things to run smoothly. And so I, I do have a very strong sense of a fear of failure. The Greek word that, that is used throughout Scripture for this word fear is, uh, the verb is phobeo, the noun is phobos, which we get phobia. Uh, that's not n- probably news to anybody. That word phobeo or phobos is used 95 times in the New Testament. Do you think the authors didn't want to address fear? So many times we hear when Jesus would come on the scene, he would tell someone to, or not, do not be afraid. Because the supernatural freaked people out. And I think it still would now. If we walked in and an angel appeared, it'd be, there'd be a little fear involved in that. Uh, and, and so that, that was usually the first word out of an angel's mouth or the first word out of Jesus' mouth, especially after the resurrection, was fear not. Don't be afraid. Things are okay. God's still in control. But 95 times in the New Testament, Matthew uses it 18 times, just in his writings. Um, And so like the English word, uh, phobeo has has a number of different meanings. The first one, and I I think I've given you the blanks to fill in here, is the idea of of, of worrying about something. It's the idea of, of worry. It's not fear as in scared. It's fear as in worry. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, But after he had considered this, and this is Joseph, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You see, this whole thing that had happened to, to Joseph and Mary, and I think most of us know the story, that, that you know they were pledged to be married, which was... In this day and age, as good as married, you had to have a certificate of divorce to break that pledge. And when he found out that she was pregnant, uh, worry set in. What am I going to do with this? This is, this is a problem that I, I've not ever had. No one else that I know has ever had. What do I do? And, and worry, no doubt, set in. And this angel appears to him and says, do not be afraid to take Mary. Everything's all right. This is all in God's plan. And so sometimes we can worry. Sometimes situations come, and, and maybe we wouldn't use the word fear, but we might use the word worry. And, and it's kind of the same, same thing uh, in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2, verse 22 talks about discomfort. That fear can just be a discomfort within us, within our spirit. Um, Matthew chapter 2, 22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, again, this is Joseph, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. There, there was just something in his spirit. There was a discomfort. There was something not right in Joseph's spirit to go back where he came from. And so having been warned in a dream, he withdrew uh, to the desert or to the district of Galilee. So he, he just, there, there was some discomfort in him. Maybe we wouldn't call it fear, but that's, they use phobeo in that, in that tense. Um, the third one is that there's a feeling of awe or respect. When the crowd saw this, Matthew chapter 9, verse 8, they were filled with awe. They were filled with fear. And they praised God who had given such authority to man. I think some of us have understood this, that there's, you know, to to fear the Lord is to to be in awe of him, to to have a respect for him, to fear him, not in a scared way, although there's a certain aspect of that that that, that ought to be there. and uh, so it's this idea of, of being in awe, of, of being respected. You're, you're fearful um, of them. And then the, the last one, and this is one that we tend to, to understand fear as, is just sheer terror. Sheer terror. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, do not be afraid. Do not be terrorized of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be terrorized of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Now, this is one where, you know, we, we need to be in terror of God's ability to judge. I mean, what, what Rick said. That, that there should be a fear in us that God has the ability, has the authority to decide heaven or hell for all eternity, for, for anyone that, every one of us that has been created. And so there should be a fear, a, a sheer terror of him. Now, remember that fear is a correct emotion to have when dealing with God. Okay, everyone needs to have the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, the psalmist said. That it's when we don't fear God or his judgment or the authority that he has, we're not going to make wise decisions. We're going to do whatever we feel like. And we can see that in the world today. That, that, that people who do not believe that God exists or do not have the, the proper fear, the proper understanding of who God is, live as if there is no God, as if they are God. And so there needs to be that, that fear, that sheer terror of God. But for the believer, the minute, moment you accept Christ, the moment you put your faith in him and that relationship that was once broke by sin is now restored Fear is replaced by relationship in which perfect love is now allowed to rule. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love. So without a relationship with God, terror should be the right emotions. Terror should be the right feeling. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because it's at that point that when we, when we truly believe and we place faith in God, that the relationship was restored and perfect love casts out fear. And then our fear of God is turned to respect and to awe and to reverence. So we're still in fear of his, of his power and of his authority, but it's not a fear that scares us. It's a fear that, it's a fear that draws us to him out of love and respect because now we're in relationship. Outside of relationship, should be terrified. Within that relationship should be respectful, awe, fearful. Perfect love casts out fear. Now, what about anxiety? We're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna kinda unpack this. I don't have a degree in counseling, but I stayed at a holiday in express. Um, so <laughs> once. Uh, so we'll, we're going to try to unpack this whole idea of anxiety from a, from a counselor perspective, um, because <clears throat> fear and anxiety really go hand in hand, uh, and fear and anxiety, you really can't talk about one without talking about the other. So we're going to, we're going to kind of unpack what anxiety is. We're going to unpack what causes anxiety, and then we're going to talk about how do we overcome fear and anxiety, and that's the part we really want to get to. But I, we kind of got to unpack the other uh, before we get to the, the solution. We have to explain the problem. So in anxiety, the Greek word means a care that distracts. That is what an anxiety is. It is a care that distracts. To be troubled by the load of care for someone or something to where we're, we're maybe short of obsessing about it. I mean, that's anxiety on a whole nother level. But but we're distracted by it. We've allowed it to kind of put itself right here in front of us to where we can't really necessarily get around it. And so it's cared to the point of, of consuming my thoughts. I'm giving a lot of time and thought to this. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry, Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, understanding that, that the people he's talking to are no doubt fearful and worriers, uh, he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? 
Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Is that not truth? You don't need to worry about today. No, or don't we need to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble, and, and each day brings its own amount of trouble. If we try to jump too far ahead, then we're going to get caught in this anxiety trap to where we're distracted by all the stuff right in front of us, and we fail to see God's taking, taking control. God's in charge. Two types of anxiety or two types of being anxious. One is a concern. This is, this is an okay thing. Okay, this is where that word anxious, I'm like, you know, oh, I'm so anxious. I always thought anxious was a good thing. It meant you were excited. Until I read in the Bible that it said, do not be anxious about anything. And I'm like, I can't be excited about anything. But that's not. And then I realized, oh, well, that goes right along with anxiety. And so there's two types of anxious that the Bible uses. One is this idea of concern. And concern is good because it's concern that causes us to act in a positive way. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul tells Timothy, or tells the Philippians, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Timothy was a guy who was concerned about the church as much as Paul was concerned about the church. And that word is anxious. Not that he had anxiety in a negative way, but he was anxious. He was concerned. He had thoughts, sometimes maybe distracting thoughts, but he was so, so concerned about the church. It was first and foremost in his mind to care for the church. That was the, the positive outcome, that because of his concern, he wanted to see the church grow and he wanted to care for it. And so Paul says, I'm going to send you Timothy because I don't know anyone else who cares like he does. That's a good anxious. That's a good anxious. The bad anxious that we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about tonight is the idea of worry. This causes us to act in a negative way. Uh, Psalm 94, 19, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. The psalmist writes, when, when, I, when worry was great within me, when I was so worried, when I was tied up in knots, when, when I couldn't think straight, when, when my stomach wouldn't, wouldn't uh, act right, and, and you've had that before. You, you've been worried enough to where you actually can make yourself sick. He said, in all of that, I turned to God and I found consolation in his word. Nothing else was going to solve that problem. There wasn't any positive action to take to overcome it. Except turning to the Lord. That was the only thing. Matthew chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Who can add a single year? Who can add anything to their life by worry? Okay? Worry is unproductive. This negative type of worry. It doesn't solve anything. It usually causes more problems uh, along the way uh, because of, of it clouds our judgment. We tend to focus on the problem rather than the solution. And so we, we have to constantly fight this worry. Psychiatrists say that fear and anxiety is the most, prob- the most common problem among patients that they see. That, that they've actually called it the official emotion of our age. Fear and anxiety. And, and I would have to agree. Um, I suffer from anxiety. I have anxiety issues. Bill and I have talked about it. Uh, mine center around health. 
that, that any time I, I can get the flu and I'm convinced I'm dying. I can get a cold and I'm convinced that I've got cancer. I can get, it's just how that works in me. And it took me a long time to figure out that it was the enemy bringing on that fear, bringing on that anxiety. And if I just rested and ate right, it would probably go away. And it did. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't still creep up from time to time. And that's how anxiety works. It can come and it can go. The enemy uses anxiety. The enemy uses worry with us. And the ways in which it works with me is I know because it comes in out of the blue and it goes away just as fast. It comes in for no reason and I can get all worked up over something and then I realize this is stupid. What am I doing? And as soon as I I turn to the Lord and I begin to pray, it goes away as quickly as it came. And and so worrying is not productive. Uh, There is normal anxiety that everyone faces Usually at the onset of a a real threat or a problem situation, we can have that moment of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I've got to deal with this. I got to. And then if we take a deep breath, we that's normal anxiety. Everybody's going to face that from time to time because we have problems in this world. And the first step usually is to worry about it or or to get a little anxious about it. But then there is the neurotic anxiety, the kind that convinces me I'm going to have cancer at every turn. Um, That. That something, it, it's more of an exaggerated feeling uh, of despair. And it's usually triggered by anything at any time. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It comes, it goes. But, but we have to understand how it affects us so that we can overcome, so that we can, can find that consolation of joy in the midst of the worry, in the midst of, of the anxiety. So what causes anxiety? Let me give you a few things that the counselors say. Okay? Number one is any threat. Anxiety is caused by a threat. Any kind of danger. You know, you, you, that's why people are you know, afraid of the dark. Because we can't see what's out there. We can't see what's coming. And so any time that, that something is, it presents itself as a danger, that can, that's cause for anxiety. Uh, Self-esteem. You ever think of that? That, that low self-esteem can be a cause. It's seen as a threat, a threat to my person, a threat to my ego, a threat to who I am. And so, if it's, if it's a threat to my self-esteem, there's probably going to be some anxious feelings in that. Um, that's my fear of failure. That's a self-esteem issue. Um, that, that I don't want to fail. I don't want to appear as a failure. Uh, you know, people, public speaking. You know, most people have a fear of public speaking uh, because it's a self-esteem issue. I stand up there and am I going to look like a fool? I don't know what to say. I don't, I, you know, and, and I do things that I wouldn't normally do because of the anxiety. Because there's a threat to me in doing that. Um, separation. That's another threat. Uh, little kids oftentimes, two, three years old, go through separation anxiety. Uh, which is why they're great in the nursery until they move to the toddlers, and then all of a sudden they don't want to leave mom or dad. Uh, Every kid goes through it. Uh, You know what? If you leave them there, they'll get over it. Uh, Usually the separation anxiety happens to mom about the same time that it happens to the kid. (laughs) That because mom walks away and hears the little one crying, mom goes into a little anxiety. Mom's fearful of what they're, you know. And, And so separation... Uh, anytime, and it can happen to adults too, it's not just for kids, but anytime that we're separated uh, from people, there can be anxiety there. Separated husband and wife, you know, when I travel, you know, it's, I wonder what's going on. Or Sarah will call and say, oh, so, you know, one of the kids is sick. And, and that separation can cause a little anxiety. And so that's, a, that's kind of a threat. Values, when our values are threatened, is a cause for anxiety. That what we value and what we hold dear that when we come up against something that, that works against that value or deteriorates that value or tears down what it is we hold dear, that's a threat. And there can be some anxiety in that. Um, we take many things for granted living in a free society. Many of our values have been held for, by, uh, by leaders of this nation for years and years and years. I mean, from the, from the beginning, 
200 plus years ago. But you don't have to look very far to realize that the values that we hold as believers are not necessarily the values that are held by our nation, by society. And now that now our values are clashing, our worldviews are clashing, and, and if we spend a lot of time, there's, you have to admit there's a little anxiety there. Anxiety about where is it going? What's happening? What's going to happen? Because suddenly the values that I held dear are not held dear by the majority of people. What's going to happen? Um, and so that can cause, uh, you know, when our biblical worldview is no longer promoted uh, as the normal worldview, as the worldview to hold uh, with that. So threat can be a cause of anxiety. Think in your own life. What is it that threatens you? And understand that that can be a cause of anxiety. Number two, conflict. How many of you enjoy conflict? You've looked at me like you're crazy. I don't enjoy conflict. Nobody really enjoys conflict, or at least they shouldn't. But when faced with two or more options, you know, that, that there's going to be conflict. Sometimes it's not conflict with a people, it's a conflict with ideas. I have two things that present themselves, okay? I got two possibilities that I have to choose from. I can go to this or I can do this. One of these is pleasurable. One of these is painful. What do you think I'm going to choose? Most of the time, we're going to choose the pleasurable one. But that's not always the correct one. Okay, so, so there can be some anxiety when there's a decision of two things in front of us. What do I do? Where, what, what decisions should I make? There's the, the, the one that we want to approach and the one that we want to avoid. Uh, and so three different possibilities. There's approach, approach which I put down there, that's where two pleasurable experiences. And we just need to pick. But yet knowing that we pick one is going to, we're going to miss the other. So would I rather do this or would I rather do that? Both of them are going to bring, bring me pleasure. Both of them are going to be happy, fun experiences. But knowing that I choose one means I'm not going to choose the other. My son does this at a restaurant. He did it today at lunch. You throw a menu in front of him, and he cannot decide what he wants to eat. And it's not like he has a wide variety. It's got to be chicken or a hamburger. I mean, it's not like there's a lot of choices for him. And it, we sat down today, and he goes, I don't know. I think I want a hamburger. I don't know. Do I want a hamburger? I said, this is not the last meal you're going to eat. Just pick one, and if it didn't go well, you can pick the other one next time. I don't know what I'm going to get. Well, he got the hamburger, and then he ate half of that and half of his mom's turkey sandwich. So he kind of likes the buffets are his favorite because then he doesn't really have to choose. He can just pick a little bit of everything. Uh, but that, that conflict, the two good things. But it was causing him anxiety over what to pick to eat. There's also the approach and the avoid. This is where a decision may have both a pleasurable and a pain involved. Maybe you're offered a new job, which may mean more money, but it also requires more hours. Now there's a little anxiety. Do I take the more money or do I take the less hours? And there's, there's a decision that has to be made. Or there's the avoid-avoid decision. These are two bad things. And I've got to pick which bad thing am I going to have. You know, there's, none of these are going to end well. But I'm going to have to pick one of them. That's probably the highest amount of anxiety because you know whatever you choose is going to be a lose-lose situation uh, in this. And so most conflicts involve a struggle between choices. And those choices sometimes can raise the anxiety level depending on whether it's a win-win, a win-lose, or a lose-lose. Depending on the importance of the potential outcome, conflicts may very well cause our anxiety. We've got to know that. We've got to understand what is it that causes me to become anxious because we're commanded, do not worry. So what causes worry in my life? Threats, conflicts, fear. Each person has their own personal list of fears. We talked about that a little bit. Claustrophobic, fear of heights. Anybody afraid of spiders? Don't like them. <laughs> i got a friend of mine that's afraid of spiders. Snakes. I kid him all the time. He walks into a room and he looks for cobwebs. First thing he does. 
Yeah, so we leave some in our house just so that uh, it gets him. People will tend then to avoid those situations whenever possible, whatever those fears are. I looked it up. I Googled it. I wanted to know how many phobias there are, you know, like claustrophobia. Uh, I don't even know what all the others are because I use all the, you know, good Latin and Greek words to come up with them. But afraid of heights, afraid of spiders, afraid of people, uh, afraid of the color white. Uh, there's, there's some crazy ones. Do you know how many phobias there actually are listed as diagnosed phobias? Over 500. That's a lot of things to be afraid of. Everything. And there is like a fear of everything, I think is probably one of them. But there are over 500 different diagnosed phobias. We're a fearful people. So when, when, when it says, do not be afraid, God knows, what he, God knows who he's talking to. Because there is fear within us. There is things that cause anxiety within us. Number four is unmet needs. That when needs are not met, there's fear and anxiety that that crop up. That that's a cause of anxiety. It's unmet needs, basic needs. People who don't have food, clothing, and shelter. That when the money's running out, when the job's been lost, the unemployment's almost gone, we don't know where the next meal's coming from. Fear and worry there. There's anxiety. That can cause the anxiety. Safety and security is a need. I need to feel safe. I need to feel secure. Uh, Anybody ever had their house broken into? (coughs) Sorry. I had my car broken into a couple times. Car. You know, there's just that little bit of fear. The next time you go to your car, you know, we never had our house broken into, but you know, people say when you walk in, there's, it's different. There's a little bit of anxiety in there. Jesus says, do not fear. Safety and security is a need that we need to meet. A sense of belonging. <clears throat> you ever been the new kid? <laughs> you walk in, you don't know anyone, no one knows you. Most people have a little bit of anxiety in that situation. When you walk in and don't know anyone. It's a cause for fear. It's a cause for anxiety. That, that sense of I want to belong. I want to belong so bad. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll do things that we would not normally do just to belong. Just to gain that sense of belonging because it's a need that I have. And the anxiety causes me to do things that I would not normally do. Depending on how strong your sense of belonging is. Your, your need for belonging. So all of these, these needs that sometimes go unmet can cause us to do things we would not normally do to try to meet them. There's also a need for personal growth. That, that need to, to be more, to, to be able to do more, to, to grow. That can be spiritual. That can be uh, mental, emotional, physical. You know, I, I need to grow. And there, and there can be some anxiety over that that need to to be more than what we are. So those are some of the causes, the threats, the the unmet needs, conflict, fear. Uh, And I'm hoping as we're going through this that your your mind is spinning, identifying the things in your own life that that can bring you down this road because we all have them. And we we need to be able to deal with them. Now let's, let's look just a little bit at what some of anxiety's effects are. Because anxiety does things to individuals. Depending on the level of anxiety, the effects can can be mild, hardly noticeable, to severe. I mean, in the hospital. And everything in between. And so if we don't know our anxiety, we don't understand how how fear and anxiety works within us, we we can find ourselves in that range of mild, which would be preferable, too severe if we don't know it's coming, if we don't understand what to do. And so anxiety has a lot of different effects. One is physical. It affects us physically. Did I give you blanks or are those there? Okay, good. Um, 
What are some of the things that anxiety can do to us physically? Right. Throws the whole digestive tract off. Your stomach, that's the whole butterflies in your stomach. Sometimes you feel like it's elephants wrestling in your stomach. Um, it constricts the blood vessels so the blood pressure goes up. Heart races. All of those things are anxiety. And none of them are healthy. None of them are good. Ulcers, headaches, rashes, um, sleeplessness, over, overstimulation. Temporary, temporary anxiety has little damaging effect. Comes, goes, can be mild, you know, that, that first initial. But regular anxiety can have long-term. And if we don't deal with the anxiety... We don't deal with the sleeplessness. We don't deal with the stomach issues. We don't deal with the ulcers. It's going to lead to the horrible, the severe end of that. Psychologically, okay? Psychologically, it reduces our productivity, reduces our creativity. Um, you, you know, if you, if you walk into a, a meeting and, and you need to present to the, to the board, or someone, you know, higher up and, and you've got to be on your game. If you walk in anxious, if you walk in uh, with, with heavy anxiety, you're not going to be on your game. You're not going to be productive. You're not going to be creative. You're probably going to stumble over words. Uh, and, and so we got to know that. We have to understand that. Psychologically, it also hinders relationships. Anxiety alters personality. I'm a different person when I'm anxious than I am when I'm calm. I'm fun to be around when I'm calm. I'm not so fun to be around when I'm anxious. That's my family. Most, they're about the only ones that ever see me in that anxious state. Usually it's just my wife um, that will shake me back. It reduces the ability to think clearly or to think at normal levels. Okay, we, we can't think when we're anxious. The worst time to make decisions is, is when we're anxious. So physically, psychologically, defense, defensive reactions, it produces defensiveness in us. It, that we can ignore the signs of anxiety. We'll just say, oh, no, it's nothing. You know, and try to, to pretend it's not there. It'll go away. If I ignore it, it'll go away. No, it won't. Probably it'll just build up steam. And that fear and that anxiety will, uh, will not go away. That, that we... Ignoring it usually adds to the problem, adds to the situation, adds to the crisis. Sometimes what we'll do then is we'll blame someone else. It's not my fault. You know, I, hey, I told the lady doing the bulletin. I don't know what her problem was. I told her we weren't having, I don't know why she put it in there. You know, it would be easy to just play that blame game. And we live in a society of blame. Never my fault. Never my fault. You know, when I was a kid, if my teacher ever called my mom and dad and said, you wouldn't believe what Ted did or Ted did this in school, man, I'd be in big trouble when I got home. You know what happens now if a teacher does that? The teacher's in trouble. Because it's not Johnny's fault. It can't be. He's a perfect kid. So we live in this society of blame. And that's just a defensive reaction to anxiety. Some people turn to alcohol, drugs, other addictions. I mean, that, that, we're moving to the severe end of anxiety at this point. That we can't cope, and so we turn to other things that deaden the sense, that, that deaden the, the anxiety, that deaden the fear. It doesn't send it away. In fact, it's only going to come back full force when the stimulation wears off. Physically, psychologically, defensive reactions... Spiritual reactions. Anxiety can drive us to God. Most people get spiritual when faced with a life-threatening situation. Someone that's never prayed before suddenly is praying. When life is on the line, when it's a life and death matter. Anxiety can turn people to God. You know, after 9-11, church attendance through the roof. Yeah, for three weeks. And then we were convinced the threat was over and everyone went back to life as normal. The anxiety 
diminished. Diminished to the point and didn't go away, but diminished to the point to where it didn't drive me spiritually anymore. I didn't need to react that to that extent. So it can drive a person to God. It can also drive a person away from God. The, the negative side of, of, of anxiety can drive us away. Um, a lack of faith causes us to seek solutions on our own, to, to not to discredit God, to say, you know, if God caused this situation, I'm not turning to him, I'm, I'm turning to myself. And sometimes we, even as believers, can do that. So when we're hit with a, our first thought is, how can I fix this? What do I need to do? Well, I better worry. <laughs> that's what we do. And so instead of turning to God, we sometimes turn away from him or we forget him or we use that as a last resort. Anxiety paints a really bad picture. It's not a good thing, which is why we're told so many times throughout Scripture, do not worry. Just in that Matthew 6 passage, I think three or four times it says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Because this is what it does. This is what worry does. It doesn't solve anything. It only causes the problem to get worse. So, how do we overcome? 45 minutes to get to the part that really matters the most. But we have to be able to identify anxiety in our own life. We have to understand how it works within us because everyone's different. So that we can identify it, so that we can then overcome the fear and overcome the thing that triggers the anxiety within us. Number one, overcoming fear and anxiety, number one, trust. My wife is, is a very, very wise, godly woman. And in the midst of, of an anxiety attack on my part, she looked me square in the eye and she goes, you don't trust God, do you? I went, honestly, I don't right now. And I had, to, I had to come to the point where I said, you know what? I'm not trusting him. I'm not trusting that he'll care for me, that he will take care of my health. I'm not trusting that he's going to give me many years to live. I'm not trusting that he's going to, you know, make me healthy. I'm not, I'm not trusting that if I die, he'll take care of my family. There was a lot of not trust in that anxiety. And when I came to that, I now had a weapon to fight it with. Because I realized if I trust God, and if I do lean on him and not my own understanding, I can overcome this. And I began trusting. I began praying differently in those situations. I began reading the Bible differently uh, in, in those situations. And so trust, usually the root of every, uh, every anxiety or every problem is a, it's a trust issue. Most of the time. What is the opposite of fear? Trust, faith, peace, contentment. Hope. Those are all opposites of fear, and yet those are all things that describe what a relationship with God brings us. Philippians chapter 4, 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do anything. I can do all this. I don't have to be worried. Whatever the situation is, I can do this through Christ. I can do this with his power. I can trust that he is going to bring me through. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's not, ang- that's not anxiety. That's not fear. Conquerors, victors, we are more than conquerors. That because of, of Christ living within us, because of the Holy Spirit's power and authority that we have, that we have access to, I, I need not be anxious about it. I can do all things. Do we trust that? Do we believe that? When we choose fear over faith, we're robbed of the power that is ours. We are robbed of the victory that is promised us, and the struggle becomes greater. It's only when we back up and say, yeah, this this is a crisis. I'm not downplaying the situation. I'm not downplaying the problem. It's a problem. But I'm going to trust God to go through that problem. I'm going to trust God that on the other side of that problem is victory. 
because I can conquer. I can do all things through Christ. We are more than conquerors. And victory is, is assured on the other side. John chapter 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome. I have overcome the world. And Jesus says you too can be overcomers. More than conquerors. Trust. When we doubt, we are doubting God's ability over that problem. We are doubting God's strength over that situation or God's wisdom in this decision. Trust. Number one thing to overcome fear and anxiety. Number two, learn to cope. Learn to cope. Take actions before the anxiety has a chance to settle in. That's why you've got to identify what it is in you that triggers it. Because then you can want to either avoid the trigger or you know when it's coming and you can pray up, you can trust up, you can face up, you can hope up. You can be more than conquerors when it comes. You're going to have trouble. Jesus promised that. It's going to come. But be able to identify it. Learn to cope. Build your own self-esteem. That doesn't mean you're great. That means God's great in you. And all of our self-esteem comes from who we are in Christ, not who we are. It is. It is. Self-esteem really is not self-esteem. It's Christ living in me. God confidence. That's a good one. God confidence. But but build that. Understand that you know God has given us abilities. Use those abilities. Put yourself in situations where God's going to use you. Work on your relationships. You know that sense of belonging. Work on those work on your relationships. Make better friends. Be a better friend. That's learning to cope with anxiety. Meet new people. And you say, but that's, man, I, I'm an introvert and I, I can't, I, I want to just pull back from people. No, that's going to add to that anxiety. Put yourself out there. Trust God. Meet new people. Try to meet new people all the time. Take a Sabbath's rest. And he talked about that. That's one of the ways to learn to cope. Take a Sabbath's rest. Work six days, rest on the seventh. Whatever day that is for you. It's not Sunday for me either. Uh, pastors don't usually get the, the Sunday rest. We find it some other time during the week. Where you, you focus on God. Your relationship with Him. You just relax in that. Trust in that. Praise and worship. Big defeater. Big coping. Mechanism for, for anxiety. Listen to praise and music. Sing along by yourself if you've got a voice like mine. Because then it just causes anxiety for the people around you. You sing out loud. But praise and worship. And it doesn't have to be music. Read through the Psalms. You use God's word as, as back to him as praise. Great ways to cope with anxiety. Reflect on your life. Set goals. Goals that are achievable. Smart goals. I don't remember what S-M-A-R-T stands for, but one of them is achievable um, goal, measurable goal. That's the M. Uh, but reflect back. Where is God taking you? What are some goals? You know, by, by next year, maybe you don't even shoot a year down the... A year's a long way off. A lot of things can happen in a year. Shoot for like in three months, this is where I want to be. In three months, I want to have done this. Six months, I want to do this. People who shoot five and ten years down the road shoot way too far. I don't know anyone that's achieved a five or ten year goal. Because it changes. Life changes. Trouble comes up. Usually it's not, maybe it's achieved, but not necessarily in five years and not necessarily in ten years. But if it's a God-given goal, we work towards it. So reflect on your life. What are your values? What are your priorities? What is not as it should be? In your life, what is a cause of anxiety that if you just got rid of it would make life better? Number three, keep things in perspective. That's a huge one. Keep things in perspective. Most fears go unrealized. My wife has never suffocated in a tight spot. Never. 
most fears go unrealized. I have found that most crises solve themselves in 24 hours. Not all of them, but most of them. And I've been a pastor long enough that I can sometimes gauge what is going to solve itself in 24 hours and what's not. There are some times where people will call me and, oh, this is, and I got to, I got to, oh, you got to, right here, right here, right now, I got I just need to talk to you. I, just, I call them a day later. How's it going? Oh, it's good. I stepped back. I, I assessed the situation and, and the solution presented itself. Well, of course it did. Because you, you step back, you, you learn to trust. You didn't just dive in with the anxiety. Most crises, and again, not all of them, will solve themselves in 24 hours. Give it a day. Your feelings will change. The anxiety level will go down. You'll have time to think clearly through it. Um, number four, develop an attitude of prayer and thankfulness. Make thankfulness a regular part of your life. Thanking God for what you have. Thanking God for, for little things, big things. That we develop this, this, this thought of thankfulness. And don't make a list and say, well, I'll thank him tonight. Thank him right then, right there. Moment by moment. Prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Bring it before Him. Trust Him that He's going to handle it, that He's going to carry you through. I don't know how it's going to work out. He does. He has a plan. He's going to reveal that plan to me when I need the next step revealed. That's a tough one. I want all the steps revealed. I want to see the end. He says, nope, I'll let you know next step. I'll let you know the next step. And that's trust. Praise. Praise and thanksgiving. That, that we, we have to, that, that will go so far in squelching anxiety, in squelching fear, in building trust. When, when we can learn to praise him. Paul was in prison. Remember that? Beaten, midnight, thrown in him, Silas, thrown in prison. And, and here they are in prison, guards are on them. And what are they doing in the middle of the night after a long day? Singing and praying. Because they knew they could trust God. Yeah, this is a bad situation. We may not live through the night. Praise God. I think it was times like that that enabled Paul to say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What a joy it would be, you know, I have so much more to gain on the other side, but until that time comes, I've got work to do. That was a great attitude. There wasn't a whole lot that was going to get him worked up, fearful, anxious, because he, he was doing what God had called him to do, and he knew that. And he, he had that attitude of, of thanksgiving and praise. Number five, serve others. If you spend a lot of your time worrying, or not worrying, but working with other people and their problems, you won't have problems of your own. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. It's, it's pushing outward rather than focusing inward. Focusing on helping other people. People who focus on the needs of others tend to cope better with their own problems. One, we realize that I don't really have it so bad. I don't really have it so bad. You know, I've I've dealt with people coming in and, and counseling, and I go home and I love my wife. I've called her after some counseling sessions and say, I just want to let you know how much I love you because of what I just heard, what I just dealt with, what I just had to walk through with someone. And and if if we can focus on serving others, we really don't have very many problems. We don't have anything to worry about. And so we've got to learn to trust. We've got to learn to trust. We've got to learn to cope. We've got to learn to keep things in perspective, not let little things become big things, not make mountains out of molehills. Learn to praise. Learn to serve. 
And if we can do those things on a regular basis, we're going to find that the fear and anxiety slowly diminishes. Satan doesn't have a, have a foothold, doesn't have anything to grab hold of in our life when we're focusing everything towards God and serving the people. Love God, love people. Anxiety tends to go away. Anxiety tends to go away. Let me pray for you. Next week we're going to pick up more with some fear, but it's going to be uh, talking more about persecution. Don't fear persecution. Don't fear what, when we do the right thing and bad things happen. We don't need to fear that. Let's pray. Father, we are again thankful that you're a God who loves us, that you're a God who wants only the best for us, desires only the best. You, you plan the best. Father, sometimes that best goes through trials, goes through struggles, goes through troubles. Father, help us to learn to trust you in the midst. That our first reaction is prayer, not anxiety, not fear. Father, help us realize we are more than conquerors. That we can do all things through Christ. Through his strength, through his power. Father, impassion us with, with the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill us completely. Father, that we might live above the troubles of the world, seeing beyond them, not distracted by them. Father, take away anxiety, take away fear. In Jesus' name.